Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mike on Howie. Chris on Soups. Mace on Hal. And Matt on Group. Wake up Wednesday and we feeling it like... Nothing can intrude as we read in the tome of big stacks, singles bagged and boarded, fitted in a box in the lab recording. Thoughts as they come, whatever they be. Comics is a world that we become. Sit back, listen to the man he sold. Wherever you are, wherever you're from, the Wednesday show is for all of y'all who leaf through books in solitude. Open up worlds that you dream of. The following show is from us to you. Peace. Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of the Wednesday Comic Book Show. It's me, Mike, by myself. I hope everybody enjoyed last week's episode. It was really fun to have Mason Matt here talking about Justice League Doom. And it opened my eyes to animated films. I think the reason that I don't like them is because I haven't watched them. It's just a the deficit of exposure there that's really swaying my opinion. There are a lot of things like that that you don't like. Because you've never experienced them. Or you just assume that you won't like them. Like, I don't like Disney movies. They're animated. So I probably won't like these animated cartoon movies. Which is a ridiculous thing for your brain to piece together. But, and maybe that's what happened. Maybe that's not what happened. But generally speaking, I don't like animated movies. And so I just assumed that I wouldn't like animated DC movies. The two I watched were pretty good. And I have to be honest, I don't really like the Flashpoint Paradox comic that much, but I really enjoyed the movie for whatever reason. Um, So there's that. We'll have them back here on the show. Maybe we'll do some animated movies. Maybe we'll do some live-action movies. The sky's the limit there. So today, I'll be talking about Howard the Duck number 10, Daredevil number 11, and Batman number 6, the anticipated epilogue to the I Am Gotham story, but let's start with Howard the Duck. So Howard is getting meta, which is not something too crazy in the realm of Howard. At the end of the Leia Thompson story, if you can remember that far back, I was reading this and I was confused in the beginning because I was like, what on earth happened in the last Howard the Duck comic? When did it even come out? Um, It was a hard month, I guess. Uh, But at the end of the Leia Thompson story, it was revealed that there are like these aliens scripting Howard's life, sort of like a reality TV show, Truman Show type situation, and injecting a little bit of production value every now and again, giving Howard some insurmountable obstacles, some conflicts um, whenever things get boring. And we find out that these aliens are just surrogates for the writers of the comic book, uh, Joe Kinonis and Chip Zartsky. Um, and it's a pretty interesting way of capturing that. They have them at the base, uh, the alien base, the alien headquarters or whatever, and so like they are walking through the base and they, they meet 
another alien script writer named Tanahisi who's writing Black Panther. They run into another one named Ryan who's writing Squirrel Girl. So those two got uh, fun little surrogates in this like alien world where all of the stories for these Marvel heroes are created. So there's the network boss Mojo who's paying these scripters. Um, and at the end of the last comic, he's ripping, ripping, ripping everybody up to shreds. Um, so Howard is, is fighting Mojo and then Joe and Chip are trying to get to earth to try to save their jobs. Essentially, it becomes one big allegory about comic books, um, about comic books as an industry, about popularity, about hero, about minor heroes and stuff like that. And so Joe and Chip descend on Earth in the middle of the battle that Howard's having with Mojo, the network president, and sort of in the middle of the fracas as Howard and Chip are squaring off. This is Howard the Duck and Chip the alien, basically the writer here. Um, and Chip is trying to explain to Howard how mid-level Celeste characters are resuscitated, how they're rebooted, how they're made to be interesting, and their fate, basically. And in the middle of this, the character Chip, the alter ego of the writer of the comic, blares out a theory that sort of becomes prophetic and is repeated at the end of the book as Howard is suffering from a stab wound, a stab wound a stab wound inflicted by Chip the writer. Um, and he, it, it, it's blaring back in Howard's head as he's sort of holding his side, bleeding out and dying. And this becomes like a very sad moment in an otherwise sort of goofy comic. Uh, the, the lines are, the thing that makes a universe survive is interest. Things need to move, evolve. Stagnation inherently dissolves everything. Characters need to live. They need to die. And that last phrase is accompanied by a panel depicting Howard's knife wound. Basically, the writer killed him. Now, this is like a, an, an inapproximate allegory insofar as I'm not necessarily sure exactly what it means. Um, the fact that the writer killed Howard would lead me to believe that there's some agency on the writer's part, and maybe the writer is walking away from this. Or uh, he killed him through a series of uninteresting stories that led to the comic being pulled off the shelf. Um, so I have no idea. I don't, I don't know what it means. It, 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 it definitely seems like the comic was doing well, I want to say. I think it got a, a, a lot of positive buzz. Um, I mean, it survived the sort of overturn of the numbers. I remember there's like, there's uh, Howard the Duck, same writer, I think same entire creative team, or maybe there's a few different, but there were like five issues and then like a zero issue, and then it started over again at one because Marvel had some sort of like rebirth like DC which seems to be having more and more frequently now. Um, but whatever the case, it seems like the next issue is going to be the last one. It's called The End, um, which I don't know. I think that it seems like a good time to put this one to bed. I mean, the first five issues or the first four issues or whatever the initial run was before the zero run, before the numbers turned over, were great. And then the next five issues were great. 
And then there were like some one shots or some singles. There was the the Jurassic Park issue that wasn't great. There was the Bev issue, the return of Bev that didn't go anywhere. There was this storyline, which is interesting. I mean, the most interesting thing that will come out of this is probably this issue, the the sort of self-reflexive issue where the writers are involved in the story. Uh, the writer has some agency in killing the character and sort of the dour mood, um, the depressive mood and the sort of meditative mood of the mid-level character. I mean, Howard has had many uh, incarnations and he doesn't seem to last very long. There's a difference between a staple like Superman that never ends. It's always always going to keep coming out. Action Comics is always going to keep coming out. Detective Comics is always going to keep coming out. There's always going to be a main Batman storyline. There's always going to be a main uh, Spider-Man storyline. Not the case with Howard the Duck. Not the case with Black Panther. Not the case with Squirrel Girl. Not the case with Martian Manhunter. Not the case with you know, these sort of middling characters. And then there are arguably characters that are always sort of in circulation, like Green Arrow, where you're like, why the fuck is this? Like, why Green Arrow? Why Flash? Why Aquaman? I mean, that might be blasphemous to say, but it is sort of like the degree to which fan service and sales have to do with the continuing perpetuation of a character's stories. I don't know. I don't know. I have no idea. Like I said on the last podcast when Mason brought up print versus digital, we got to do some research over here at Wick Boss and figure out like what the fuck, uh, like what are people actually reading? Um, and that's something that I'll look into as we continue on. This podcast is a journey of me trying to figure out comic book stories and narratives, and then now like the business. So whatever the case, it was, it was, it was, it was a fun run. It was great. I love Howard. It's a, it's a very fun character. Um, Daredevil number 11, Charles Sewell and Ron Garney. Um, we open on a crazed inhuman who sniffs some quote unquote Terrigan cloud. We've all been there uh, and it's turned him into a monster man. Um, th there are some thugs about to kill him and he's trying to prove that he's harmless. Um, but he looks ghastly. He's blue and he has like wispy white hair and he's like screaming erratically. He can make like snow, good flake, ambient rave lights come out of his finger. Like that's his power. Um, and... They're not buying it, the people who are chasing him. These are like inhuman, like bounty hunters. They're trying to kill these people who sniff the quote-unquote Terrigan cloud. Um, anyway, some unidentified person saves him by killing all the other dudes in the process. So that's where we open up to. Then cut to uh, the scene where we were left last time, the bloody mural that was created using the blood of 112 people is sitting in front of us. And there's a professor talking to the owner of the establishment where the mural's painted. And he's like, is this art? And the guy 
who is the professor is like art is just like execution with intent or something like that. It's just like creative expression that's intended to do something, intended to make you think something, um, which is like a a very loose uh, interpretation of art because by that logic, me taking a shit or me farting in someone's face is art. And you know what? I'm not willing to say it's not. Um, so yeah, they're in a restaurant or something and they're having this conversation and then the dude who owns the establishment is alerted to the fact that there's somebody there to see him. It's a city councilwoman. And she's trying to convince him initially, sort of gently, not to do what he's planning, which is charge admission for people to come and see the blood mural. And he's like, nah, I'm good. You can, you can sort of, you can just take off. And then she threatens him and she's like, I'm very powerful. I got the city council on lock. And you better take this down because one of the people's blood who's used to create this mural was my niece. And he's like, nah, I'm still good. I'm going to charge, whatever the fuck. But, and she's all butthurt about it. And she's like, I'm very powerful. I'm very powerful. I'm ve- the smartest people. We're going to find the smartest people to build the wall. Build the wall in between your establishment and New York. We're going to find the smartest people. The absolute smartest people are going to do it. The smartest people are going to do it. Don't ask me how they're going to do it. They're just going to do it because they're the smartest people. The smartest people. She leaves. She's butthurt. And then we cut to uh, Matt Murdock in the DA's office. He gets called into the DA's office. He's like, shit, I'm getting fired because I fucking suck at this. You can't be a lawyer and daredevil. You're not allowed. It do- it's not going to work. It's too much. Like, I have a friend who can't work at an airport and a Walmart and have a podcast. He can't do those three things. There's no fucking way you can be daredevil and an attorney. Although... If you listen to interruptions, you know exactly who I'm talking about, and he should be able to make it to the podcast. Two jobs, one of them part-time, and a podcast, easy peasy, beautiful cover girl. Um, But we cut to Matt at the DA's office, and he's assigned the case of the bloody mural. Basically, the city council person is like, nah, we're going to get the shit down, we're going to pull the permits, we're going to have some fucking weird public nuisance law or some zoning law. There must be something that would a health code violation that could get the shut down. Um, so Matt is assigned the case. He'll be responsible for, for shutting down the sort of sideshow. Um, and he'll almost certainly develop a relation with the city council person. This is going to get wet, dude. There hasn't been, and you know, it's going to get wet because boom, boom. The next scene after he's assigned this case for the city councilwoman is him and Foggy talking about Matt's last flame uh, that he's obviously no longer with because Matt Murdock needs to cycle through women. He doesn't stay with one for very long. Um, And the parenthetical is also to make sure Foggy is still in the picture, that we know he's still there. It's also to remind us of Matt's past with women, which isn't great. And it's also sort of to make sure that we as the readers know that Matt knows that what he's doing in the district attorney's office is fucked up, um, that, you know, the justice system shouldn't be used to 
sort of address the familial problems of city council people, um, that it's supposed to be the subjective institution, but it doesn't function that way. And it's very important that we know that Matt knows that because there has to be something redeemable about this character. Um, because also, if you're introducing a lady into the story, shit's about to get fucked for Matt. You just have to, you don't even have to go to like, like, born again or any of these stories in the past you can just go literally like a couple issues ago with electra and him duping her into believing she had a baby or whatever the fuck he did um yeah so he's he's he talks to foggy after he gets assigned this case and foggy um sort of listens to him as he's vocalizing his discomfort with doing the city council's dirty work and foggy's like i ain't got shit to do with that you took the job, B. That's on you. You knew what you were getting into when you left being a defense attorney for being a prosecuting attorney. Like, this is the shit that happens. Um, and cut to, it doesn't take very long for the police to shut down the operation. Um, but, uh-oh, Vincent Van Gore, as, as the press is calling him, and as I guess the, the villain is called, has stricken again. He... Or she, don't be sexist, painted over the blood mural with the phrase, you're only as good as your last performance, and left an address, 1602 East 171st Street in the Bronx. So, evidently, this is going to be a nomadic museum, like the contemporary in Baltimore. Like, it's going to be, it's going to pop up in different places. He's going to have all of his, all, all of his installations in different places. So Matt Murdock and Blindspot are on the case. They're the ones who uncovered the bloody mural. They get word because Matt is the prosecuting attorney on this case that there's like a, 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 a different mural. There's an address. And so they're headed to the Bronx to see the new thing, to see the latest installation in this nomadic museum. And they open upon a scene. They get they they get into the the address. They open the door, and it's a bunch of Inhumans, like the one that we saw on the on the very first panel of this comic. And they're all doing regular shit. They're all dead, obviously, and they're all being propped up into positions and being portrayed doing regular things like ironing, washing their hands, watching TV. One of them's taking a shit, um, and. I think Matt makes some comment about this being like a ham-fisted way of being like, inhumans are people too. Long story short, the killer's watching them from a rooftop because, you know, it's like it's like any artist wants to see the reaction to their grand opening. So the killer's watching from a rooftop. It's Matt Murdock uh, with Blindspot, or it's not even Blindspot. It's Matt Murdock and Sam Chung. They're out of their hero costumes. And so... Matt's like, I gotta go fucking jerk off or something. And then he runs and he turns into Daredevil and he confronts the killer on the roof. And we see him, Vincent Van Gore, and end of that. They will be fighting in issue number 12 for sure. This run is still good. It's still good. It's still so good. Hey, you! You're losing! You're losing! I've had that song stuck in my head because I watched The Get Down. That's That's the band Can, that Krautrock band. Um, 1972, it's called Vitamin C. Do yourself a favor, YouTube it. Also, uh, Styles of Beyond, a awesome West Coast uh, rap trio, 
Um, they did a mixtape with Green Lantern a couple years ago that has a song called Hey You on it that samples that track. It's fucking phenomenal. Phenomenal. Phenomenal, dude. Listen to that shit for sure, 100%. Also, the get down, kind of a letdown. I know it's an easy pun to make, but it's so true. It was kind of let down. Like, first episode started, you're like, oh, this is pretty cool. This is like a different take on it. It's kind of Broadway. I'm sure that this isn't going to get old, and it gets old so quickly. It's like, hey, man, we got to settle our fucking differences. Let's rap about it. Let's have a DJ off. Hey, hey, how about this? How about everyone raps? How about all of us rap? It's like so fucking bizarre. It's like, oh, is that easy? Um, I'm getting off track here. This is the Wednesday comic book show, not the Wednesday get down show. Do you think people are going to do podcasts? Are, is there going to be a podcast dedicated to every Netflix original series? Like there has to be an orange is the new black podcast, but now a house of cards podcast. There has to be right. I didn't do any research on that. I'm not looking it up, but like there's a Hamilton podcast. That's just one show. That's just one Broadway musical. I mean, there are a lot of different aspects to cover, like the way Lin-Manuel Miranda wrote it, the, you know, every single different actor has their own story in it, as the actor and in real life, it's obviously a historical drama, so you can go back and look at the history, you can look at the book that it's based on, you can look at, like, the tour that's happening, you can look at the ticket sales and stuff like that, there, ha- there, should, be, there should be a podcast called The Get Down, about the show The Get Down. Um, Orange is the new whack. I don't know what I'm talking about. Batman number six. Tom King and Ivan Rees. It's usually David Finch. I think Ivan Rees is just filling in for this as a guest artist. Um, although maybe he's he's the new artist on the series. I don't know. We'll find out. Um, this is the epilogue to I Am Gotham. If you remember in the last issue, Gotham Dude. Named Gotham, but I call him Gotham Dude because I want them both to be gendered. Is killed by his sister um and we open up on his sister it's gotham girl she's shaving her head britney spears style remember remember when britney went crazy um and like shaved her head she had all like that pr nightmare media scandal that's what happened to to gotham girl she shaves her head in the first sort of panels of this comic and the entire time she's talking to her deceased brother she's talking to Hank, I think his name is, or Frank, somebody. Um, she, she continues to talk to herself and to talk to him. And as she's talking to herself, she's flying around. She's fighting crime at an alarming pace. And as we found out in the last issue, her ability to fight crime is dependent on how much of her life she's willing to give up because her powers drain from her life expectancy. So the more crime she fights, the quicker she will approach her demise. Um, So by doing this sort of fast crime fighting, she's essentially just committing a slow suicide, uh, which is an interesting interesting dynamic, and I think that um, also very intentional. And so the way that Batman deals with it is by revealing his secret identity, confronting her as Bruce Wayne, telling her about um, how when he was 10, his parents were killed in front of him and sort of relating to her on a human level and not as Batman, which is hard for him to do because he's like a tough motherfucker 
dude who you know is 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 presented to us as kind of a dick whenever he's not wearing the 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 cowl just sort of like a more a less introspective batman by comparison to other batman doesn't take himself like hella seriously um but takes himself seriously on a batman level and so he you know and that's a vulnerable moment for him it's a vulnerable moment where he connects to this person on a human level and it's good it's another dimension you know of Tom King's capacity to write a good Batman story. He is, he is taking the form and he's, he's exploiting every single aspect of it. Batman's human side, Batman's douchey side, um, Batman's inability to be a superhero in sort of a more traditional sense of being able to stop an airplane from crashing into, into Gotham, but also Batman's detective side, Batman's scientific side. Like everything here is present. Um, and it's been very, it's been a very interesting run. And so this is just adding, adding more layers onto Tom King's Batman of being somebody who's able to connect with somebody on a human level because they share this trauma of parents having passed, of a brother having passed and of being complicit in it. Um, one of the things that is crazy about Batman's origin is that, I mean, he feels in a sense sort of guilty, um, I'm not guilty, but just powerless because he couldn't do anything about his parents' murder. Uh, and so he feels complicit in it in some way, the same way that she feels complicit in the death of her brother because, I mean, she did cause it. Um, so she kind of wilts into his arms and what we're left wondering is like, how the fuck is this person going to be saved? I mean, she's still under this incredible mind control from psycho pirate who turned her into a crazy person. So cut to Amanda Waller. We got to find psycho pirate and she's the one who fucking hired him through Hugo strange. So what's Gucci? And we finally get debriefed. We finally figure out what the fuck is going on. It's Bane. Bane. It's bad. Basically, what happened is that Bane orchestrated this whole scheme remotely to get Psycho Pirate and some Venom. Or to trade, or Hugo Strange traded Venom for Psycho Pirate. And like he got Venom from Bane, and that Bane then got Psycho Pirate in exchange. Whatever it means, in order for Batman to cure Gotham Girl, he'll have to get Psycho Pirate back from Bane, who's in Santa Prisca. In one of the most fucking elaborately constructed, impossibly penetrable fortresses in the world. And then... So Amanda Waller's like commenting on that. She's like, this is crazy. You could even say it's suicide. So, I don't know what the fuck that means. Clearly, she's talking about Suicide Squad. So, maybe this turns into like a double universe multi-issue crossover arc with Batman and the Suicide Squad. Uh, maybe pre-planned, maybe ham-fisted to help out the movie, which apparently is not that good. Whatever it is, Batman, Bane, they're getting it. Um, and that is going to be fucking awesome. 
That's been another edition of the Wednesday Comic Book Show. Thanks if you listened to this entire thing. I have been sick, so this has been a particularly difficult one to do since I am so drained. Um, follow me on Twitter, LightShots, L-I-T-E-S-H-O-T-S. Um, follow my dudes. You know them. You can listen to other episodes. Uh, Matt, Mason, Chris. What's Gucci, my dudes? I'm signing off, and I will be back next week with another edition of the show. You ever seen a nerd speak in thin air? You ever seen such comic book flair? You ever seen two, three, four, five nerds fight and argue over made-up words? Superman, Batman, and the Green Martian approach these worlds with Supreme Court shed. Listen to us as we rant and rave. Flip and follow on to the next page. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.